So hello, everyone. This is Otessa, and you are listening to Conversations with Hysterical Women. That's Women with an X, the Hysterical Women podcast, where you are all welcome here, friends, allies, everywhere across the rainbow, across the binary. I'm just really glad to have you be here. And this is meant to be a safe space to explore all of the weird things that life throws at us and all of the different ways in which we can be twisted and torn asunder, but also all the different ways that we can come back together. So thank you for listening, and I'm glad that you're here and going to be cheesy, but comment, like, subscribe. Hey, I'm Molly Rulin. I am the owner and founder of HeartCast Media and One Love Massive. Uh, I love creating content and elevating voices in my community. Thanks for tuning in to Conversations with Hysterical Women. All right. Well, for us, thank you for taking your time to spend with us. Um, we really appreciate it because we do know that you are a busy lady with a lot going on. So I think the, um, the first conversation, I, or the first question I want to ask you is what initially drew you to the podcast community as an expert to help other people and teach other people how to craft and create their stories effectively. What what initially drew you to that? What was your inspiration? Well, you know, for the last, you know, 19 years I've been running One Love Massive, which is really just elevating voices in the community, whether mostly artistic and musical in nature. Um, So for me, pivoting to focusing on podcasts was a pretty natural and organic switch. Um, because now I'm just amplifying voices in my community, just in a slightly different way. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, I believe, I'm, I've always had a passion for storytelling, especially authentic stories that you don't get to hear so much, you know, like the marginalized community. So um, yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Alrighty. So you said for the past just 17 years, one love, one love massive. 19, 19 actually. 19? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Time flies. Wow. <laughs> so what age demographic does one like? Is it mostly millennials, or is it like a, a mix of ages? Or you know, I think it's changed. You know, it's aged just like I have over the last two decades, right? You know, um, I think it really is dependent on what we had our hands in and what we were doing at the time, really. But we really like to think of ourselves as like an organization that appeals to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. It's not really like, you know, pigeon-held on like one particular genre or music or age group or community. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, another question I have for you is you had uh, previously talked about an issue. I think the first or second time we met with you at your old office space, you were saying how you went to a... um, a women's event that was supposed to be for women and supporting mm-hmm. women, but it was more like a self-sabotaging thing. Like you claim to be this, but in actuality, you're not treating people the what the way of the treating people is not in alignment with what they claim they stand for. So on that note, because this podcast really hits various forms of toxic culture, mm-hmm. um, can you just expound on like what toxic cultures amongst women and women's groups and women's organizations have you encountered, and like what, what are the main things you want to see changed amongst women? You know, that's a great question, and I think I'll lead with, like, a a women-based operation that I really uh, appreciate, because I think they really kind of point out the things that people are falling short on. Um, There's an event called Unmute, and they just did the Unmute DC, and it was conversations about women and race, and racial identity, race, like, where, how that ties into, like, our everyday lives, and who we identify with, and how these biases really impact us in in ways that we maybe weren't even aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're doing such a great job of, like, hand-picking people, making sure everybody feels included, like, doing activities at the event that actually bond people together, and really allow women a safe space to feel, like, understood and appreciated and heard, or even a, a safe space to just hear other women, right? Because sometimes when you haven't been doing such a great job of it, you feel really alienated and, like 
you know, kind of attacked a little bit, you know, when, when these conversations come up, like maybe you're, you're not as diverse as you thought you were, maybe you're not hitting all the marks. And so talking about that can be, you know, painful or you might feel defensive about it. And so I think it's really important to like create actual safe environments that like people can express themselves and learn. And so I think, you know, I think there's a lot of women doing really great things in DC no, I think if, if, if there was one thing that I would like to see expanded on is the inclusivity of women's conversations, you know? I, yeah. think, I think that, like, and, and, and I might even be saying this wrong, but, like, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, like, women's events, and it's, like, only women in the room, and that's cool and all, but, like, we know what the struggles are. Like, we live them every day. We need some men to hear this stuff. And so I wish some of these conversations had a broader reach. I wish that more men would contribute in these things, mm -hmm. you know? Especially when it's not a women's only event. Yeah. I wish that more men would show up and participate in the conversation and learn and understand like the struggles that we're going through. But I guess that's uh, true with every marginalized group of people, right? If everybody just took the time to understand one another. Yeah, to bridge those gaps. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point to have the guys sit in. So it's not like we, like you said, we all know, but it's important to have guys sit in. And um, speaking of which, that's exactly what we aim for in this podcast because it is um, based on women, but we also don't want to exclude men. And we also don't want to come from a, bash, a, a male bashing standpoint because that's not right. what we're trying to do. Right. So I do appreciate that comment. I think that that would be a great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they didn't know what's going on too. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, I was listening to Gary Vee podcast and he talked about. Um, What's he saying now? Radical candor. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of that because these women came in there like we have this boss and we we get him but like he's really disruptive and he comes in and like how do we deal with it? And they were like, well, is he always disruptive or is he good sometimes? They're like, he's good sometimes. They're like, you you just need to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, amen, man. Can we just talk? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't get it right all the time, but I would right. appreciate if you were like, hey, Moss. You know? Yeah. Like. Yeah. No judgment, but like you might want to work on that. I'd be like, word, that's really helpful. Okay, I would much right. rather hear that yes. than like a month later find out that you were talking shit about. Exactly. Like, what the fuck, man? Exactly. I was right here. What is really my <laughs> Right, like right to the face. Yeah. I wild. Yeah, I love that quality about you. I kind of want to keep on that topic of just candor yeah. and, and being candid because that just ties into, you know. Um, a part of building authentic relationships is there should be some level of candor and honesty. So, like, have, have you always, like, just had that, like, direct boldness about you? Or is it something that you grew into over the years as you, as you have matured and just, you know, experience <clears throat> from life? Um, you know, it's funny because my mom used to always call me the queen of the Justice League. <laughs> so, um, I think that, like, low-key, I've kind of always been that way. I've always kind of fought for the underdog. It's usually in defense of somebody else is why I'm speaking up, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, maybe I've seen something that somebody else didn't see, or maybe I have a perspective that the other person doesn't have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel it's important, especially people who have privilege need to use that privilege in positive ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, I think that, that, like, radical candor, like, a lot of that comes from, from that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's, it's definitely difficult, like with interpersonal relationships, like I am certainly not 
the best, like, it, you know, like, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm non-confrontational. I mean, who loves confrontations? Like, is that a thing? They're like, no, I don't love it. You know, and I'm, I'm sure, like, Grant Cardone and Gary Vee are like, oh, I love problems, because then I can lean in and fix them. That's fucking cool and all, millionaire. But I don't really like problems. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They make me uncomfortable. They <laughs> yeah. make me nervous. They make me shameful. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They make, you know, a lot of negative things come out when you feel there's a confrontation. And so, you know, I think it's just... You know, we have to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and we have to talk to each other about our shortcomings, right? Like, Mm -hmm. not like your outfit is whack, but Mm -hmm. like, hey, here's a perspective that maybe that you didn't get, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, that might be helpful for you to have, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's it. And I think that that comes up so often, and and I give this example, and maybe it's a bad one, but it's like, you know, imagine if you have a basketball team and somebody wants to join your team and they've never played basketball before, they love it and they're passionate about it and they'll do anything to get on the team. Well, you don't put them on the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. You bench them. You have them run drills. You have them get the towels. They cut the oranges. They learn the plays. And then when they're ready to put them on the on the field or on the court, then you do that. And there's a lot of people out here who want to be allies but have been programmed really wrong because society. Society, societal, any okay. else, yeah. Every movie we grew up watching, everything that we were exposed to when we were younger is sexist and racist and (laughs) horrible. It really is. I mean, let's just, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it is what it is, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, growing up, literally all the content that we consumed was, like, inherently flawed, right? And, Mm -hmm. like, we didn't realize it until now we're a little more woke, and we look back and we're like, holy crap, I can't believe this was normal, right? I mean, Walt Disney, you know? Horrible, right? Horrible. And so you can't be mad at people for having internal biases because they actually exist and it's not their fault. Now, mm-hmm. external biases and purposeful biases is a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you continue to go on that path. That's on you. But when you have somebody who says they want to be an ally or they want to be you know, supportive or useful or whatever it might be, then it's really important to, like, educate them so that they can be a good ally and believe them when they say they want to be a good ally. Right. Right, definitely. I, I totally agree. So what, what issues right now, or what what, um, what issues right now are really weighing on your heart? What's like really been in your mind lately as far as issues, culture? And... You know, the state of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. weighs on my heart heavy mm-hmm. every single day. Um, the creative community in D.C., I mean, just everything in D.C. I feel like D.C. is getting what it deserves right now, mm-hmm. and not in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the tension is just so high. The rent is too damn high. Nobody can afford to live here. Everybody's working multiple jobs. The tension is up. Mm-hmm. People are dying in the streets from gunshots, from cars. I mean, our fatality rate has gone up 33%. And New York City's has gone down 33%. So you tell me what the problem is, mm-hmm. especially when the population is considerably higher in New York City. Wow. Yes, so wow. there's just, there's issues, right? And there's not enough communication. And there's just, you know, it's just difficult. Like everything is changing, you mm-hmm. know? Everything is changing and things, things are only going to continue to change. You know, the D.C. music census, you know, that's been really heavy on my mind the last few days. You know, if you're a creative out there and you're watching this, like, please do this. But, you know, um, Marianne Lombardi with 202 Creates created this D.C. music census to find out 
how many people in the city make a living off of being an artist or a creative. And she did that because according to the D.C. government, only 300 people in D.C. make a living as a creative. 300 people. D.C. government thinks that only 300 people in all of Washington, D.C., what is it, 650,000 people? 300. That 300 people make a living as a creative. So Marianne Lombardi, myself, Chris Noun, Aaron Myers, like this whole... So Marianne created this thing, and then she invited all these people industry experts from Austin, from all over the country, to like gather this information, have focus groups, invited all these different people and creatives, producers, directors, sound people, like literally the whole gamut, right? Mm -hmm. And of course only, you know, a handful of people, you know, participated, very few creatives, and we created this music census that just asked questions like, do you make a living off of the arts? How much of your living is made off of that? What would you like to see? You know, affordable housing, places to park, unionized wages for creatives. And we're trying to show the mayor and the city that a lot more than 300 people make a living off, off the arts in D.C. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're getting kickback from artists. Mm. Hmm. Really? From artists who have a problem with it because the mayor's name on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Man, that bums me all the way out. Yeah. You know? And as a creative in D.C. who struggled, just like every other creative, to get, like, press. Mm -hmm. And then the first time, you know, we were finally getting some easy press, and what does an artist do? They trash the D.C. music census. Yeah. Wow. And you know what? I don't know. You know, Diana? It's hard. It's hard to want to stay engaged. It's hard to want to continue to care sure. and, and create change for people who think that... Everything is just supposed to be handed to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not referring to the person who wrote, you know, went out in this article. I don't think that he believes that. But so many people, especially in the creative community, feel like something is owed to them. But, like, if something is owed to them, it's also owed to the cab driver. It's also owed to the landscaper. It's also owed to the nanny. It's owed to everyone, right? Like, there's no... You're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're special, but you're not special enough to not have to play the rules or not have to participate or not have to contribute your thoughts. And so it's just a bummer because, you know, how are we going to survive? You know, how are we going to survive in this city? Mm -hmm. You know, I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, and that, that's, that's been heavy on my mind. I feel like, you know, I, I just wish people cared a little bit more. I, I wish people understood um, you know, I love people like Yachty, you know, and people who are out here doing things. Um, I can't express enough gratitude to, like, Aaron Myers from Capitol Hill Jazz Foundation and Chris Naum and Justin Rood. Like, these people have given tirelessly, like, hundreds and hundreds of hours to, like, write legislation and meet with DCRA and actually create change and not just, like, yell about it on Facebook. And so, you know, when I get a little bummed out about all that, I try to think about those guys instead and like, you know, not to be cheesy, but literally my heart is filled with joy and gratitude that I know them. And I'm grateful on the city's behalf that they exist because people have absolutely no idea how much work people are putting in behind the scenes to make sure that other people are going to be okay. Wow. 